0: From Beyond the Beltway, this is First Dumont, with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Lieutenant Colonel Retired from the U.S. Marine Corps, Greg Ballard, the former mayor of Indianapolis, Indiana. Democrat activist, Patrick Hanley, and Republican activist, and now a s- staff member for a U.S. Senate campaign, Stephanie Hitt, and also Matt Sorens, who is World Relief. He is an expert on refugees, and we'll be talking about that in hour number two. Matt will be our guest in the second hour. Our program tonight, coming to you from our own base at the WIND Studios AM 560 in beautiful Elk Grove Village. Illinois. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. We've got a number of things to talk about. We'll be talking about the uh, hearings into the Supreme Court uh, nomination as well as the program unfolds this evening, but we're obviously going to be focusing on what is happening in Ukraine and uh, the President's uh, address in Poland yesterday. And uh, uh, I want to begin with you, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Ballard, and you've been this is the third time you've been with us for the last couple of weeks. Uh, U- United States Marine Corps, thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk about the politics uh, of this a little bit later on. But uh, of all the things that have happened, let's say, in the last 72 hours, including some of the rumors that uh, the, uh, the Russians may be uh, looking to focus their attention on just the Domrest region, um, what, what's your take on, on how that war is going
1: at the moment? So it's interesting that i, I keep reading about uh, the uh russians getting on defense right now mm-hmm. which is I, I think we mentioned earlier that the, that's the stronger posture as opposed to offense so that's really interesting to me that they're they're doing that kind of hunkered down hunkering down a little bit so uh, they don't seem to be making any gains it looks like ukraine's making a few more gains What i'm mostly concerned about though is uh, just the rhetoric that's that's going on mm-hmm. uh, I, I know i mentioned this earlier on your show that we have to get Putin a way out. We have, you know, the, yeah. the, this diplomatic thing to do is to give him a way out of this thing, saving as much face as possible. And the rhetoric in the last uh, 48 hours has been terrible in, yeah. in that regard. And it scares me because when people start putting, uh, you know, saying butcher or war criminal and things like that, you put them into a corner and then they feel like they have to fight to get out. And what we should be doing is trying to give him a way out of this thing. Yeah. Um, if not gracefully, at least a way to get out with the, with uh, some sort of dignity.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything worse that the president could have said other than what he said at the end of his yeah. speech, his ad lib, uh, uh, in which he said that uh, you know Vladimir Putin basically, uh, you know, we, we can't we can't keep this guy around. So uh, that that's yeah. a pretty devastating uh, and and the attempt by the White House to sort of uh, backtrack from uh, that very definitive uh, comment, I thought was. Uh, was pretty ridiculous but again we'll talk more about other yeah. things that the president had to say overall I thought the speech was was pretty good I think it yeah, was yeah, uh, he yeah. delivered it better than he normally delivers a speech but yeah. boy when he got to that end uh, uh, that was not 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 terribly That's, good uh, yeah, that, that makes things
1: difficult no yeah. question
0: Stephanie had your reaction you're our other Republican this evening
2: right well you know I think it was it was startling it was shocking um that Again, what we're seeing from this president is uh, now becoming a habit of saying the quiet part out loud and the quiet part being something that shouldn't ever be shared. And that is, you know, we we, we saw him make that, that faux pas with a little comment about the minor incursion and that slip mm-hmm. up. And then, mm-hmm. look, here we are. Uh, and Putin's reaction to that was minor incursion. And maybe that was the quiet part that was said privately in the room mm-hmm. among among strategists and but what we're seeing is a president who is taking what's being said quietly and saying out loud. Now, why? Is he doing it for a strategic reason? I I don't think so. I think he's doing it because he doesn't fully understand and grasp what's going on around him. And the other thing is he just handed Putin the the sound bite that he gets to Putin gets to run over Russian media, over and over and over, about right. proving why he needs the Russian support for what he's doing.
0: Uh, our Democrat tonight is Patrick Hanley. Patrick, uh, nice to have you with us this evening. Great to be here. Uh, uh, I know you're a partisan, but I also <laughs> know you're... Not
3: that bad. Well, no, really not that <laughs> bad. You have you're, a brain. You, have, uh,
0: you have the ability to look on the other side. But yeah. uh, as a Democrat, um, how did you feel when you heard those... When you heard the speech, and then the the nine words at the end of the speech.
3: Yeah, well, the speech was very strong. I mean, this is Reagan in '87 stuff. I think I've got a line right here: uh, a dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase a people's love for liberty. Brutality will never grind down their will to be free. This is strong stuff. This is a good rhetoric. It stiffens the back of our allies in Europe, and it presents a strong, powerful force abroad. With regards to the nine words at the end of the speech, I think uh, all of us as well on the Democratic side and Republican side, as well as Vladimir Putin, understand that the president is a guy who makes off-the-cuff remarks that don't reflect U.S. policy. This isn't the first time, as everyone here realizes, and I honestly don't think it matters very much. I don't think anything Biden said at that speech is going to change the way Putin approaches the war. Uh, Greg, I agree with you. I think we need to be working on giving Putin off-ramps, considering he's already lost the strategic war. Um, but I don't think this really changes his calculus. Well, the
2: problem with that is, it's not an off-the-cuff remark that everyone brushes off as "oh, that's that's old Joe," because we just saw that the oil refinery outside of, of uh, Lviv, Lviv was just bombed, and many many people are assessing that that was a, rea- a direct reaction. That comment, sure, but days earlier, Mariupol had been bombed to the ground. That's a big deal. No,
0: but that attack was before the speech, wasn't it? it Putin's no, but it was also, he
2: he had also said, uh, the day before that with troops about sending troops into Ukraine, another statement that needed to be walked back Mm. by the White House. And so, Putin is paying attention to this, and he is reacting. Um,
0: But I agree. I want want to get I want to get Greg's response to uh, what Stephanie said, that this is uh, uh, they they handed uh, uh, Putin just a phenomenal soundbite that can be played over and over again on uh, Russian television.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I have to push back just a little bit on on, uh, Patrick. The Mm -hmm. president says that it kind of is U.S. policy, Mm -hmm. uh, despite what uh, other people have been doing. Uh, And I think that's something that we have to remember. Uh, about this it's his words when I was the mayor mayor what I said mattered and people Mm -hmm. paid attention to it and they reacted to it uh good or bad and and he's been at this for 40 plus years I I I know he's a nice guy but he's got to do better than that I mean I know they work on the speeches I know that's very hard to do and I but you have to stay within the in the guidelines. and what I'm what I'm afraid of and I I I just just the way I feel when politicians make things say things like this, and I always worry that there's going to be dead people at the end of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just how I see it. Right, and that's what really bothered me about most of this. Mm -hmm. Well, also
0: during the campaign, he made such a big point that because of his expertise and many years in the U.S. Senate, uh, he was comfortable speaking a you know diplomatic talk and uh, he wasn't uh, you know he, during the campaign there, there weren't too many loose lips although there were some but but again he, he's 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 not what uh he's not what a lot of independents and some democrats thought they were going to get when they voted for for joe biden i'm bruce dumont we do have to pause with our guests 1-800-723-8029 if you'd like to join the discussion we'd love to hear your voice don't go away
4: learn more at lls.org
5: this is the story of a very special woman in a matter of seconds she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur her knowledge was limitless and still is she could also make monsters disappear especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed
6: Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
7: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date?
5: Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together.
7: Probably.
0: Bruce Dumont back. we continue with our guests and uh, I want to begin uh, this segment with talking about how, how we can define an off-ramp mm-hmm. uh, you know we believe that that Putin is cornered right now um, but do you think he believes
1: that Greg what do you think does he think he's cornered I do I actually I do believe he's cornered and uh, would be looking for a way out we saw a lot of rhetoric change uh, recently we'll mm-hmm. see THAT'S TRUE I KNOW THE U.S. INTELLIGENCE AGENCIES ARE PUTTING OUT THAT THEY DON'T THINK THAT'S A REAL CHANGE IN, in uh, WHAT THEIR GOALS ARE uh, mm-hmm. GOING TO BE BUT YOU KNOW I've, I'VE SAID FOR WEEKS NOW THAT UH THOSE East, YOU HAVE TO TALK ABOUT THOSE EASTERN REGIONS AND Don, THE Donbass REGION WHAT ARE WE GOING TO DO THERE AND IS THAT A WAY TO GET OUT OF THIS CLEANLY FOR PEOPLE AT LEAST FOR A WHILE I MEAN I, I LOOK AT THIS LONG TERM I, mm-hmm. I we, WE SHOULDN'T LOOK AT THIS AS WHAT'S well, GOING TO BE THE END OF THIS uh, CONFLICT uh, what's, what i'm worried about is what does this look like in 20 30 40 years mm-hmm. don you might give don Moss back and, and when putin uh dies or there's regime change in there then you go back and get it in some way. same thing with Crimea. so the, look at this yeah, long term
0: yeah should the united states uh, patrick hanley <laughs> should the united states be um forcing or coercing uh ukraine into accepting uh the give back of some areas of their country like the Donbass region the Crimea image mean, should they should they be imposing the the pressure from the West so this thing can end because that will maybe prove to be less embarrassing for the West which at least some in Ukraine feels they've not been as supportive of the military effort as uh Zelensky would like
3: no I don't think so I, I really don't think that the United States needs to be coercing Ukrainians into doing anything if anything our strategy throughout this crisis has been to support the Ukrainian government with uh, lethal and non-lethal aid, as well as with the rhetorical and the diplomatic skills that we've de- deployed throughout Europe. So, no, I but think it's
0: not been enough. Well, I mean, I mean they, has they it? think, I mean, it's $1. Well, they $3 billion. they thank us. Yeah. They thank us, and in the next breath, yeah. Uh, either President Zelensky or any member of the parliament that I've heard interviewed, sure the next breath is, we want more. Close the skies or give us the jets. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, yes, I would. Of course, if I mean, you are Ukrainian, but if you're <laughs> the United States, you don't want to do
3: that because you realize that's a that's an untenable escalation. Well, I think we we've threaded yeah. the needle really well. I think the the Biden diplomatic team has done an excellent job. Stephanie,
0: do you well, think do you think that Zelensky is on the verge of? pissing <clears throat> off the United States? I do not think so. I, too, I think
2: he has proven to be quite a clever politician. Yeah. I mean, he really has managed this, given his position quite well. I think he surprised the world with his adeptness. Um, yeah. It's interesting that, you know, are we pressuring? I, I believe at one point Zelensky has even suggested they would be open to mm-hmm. giving some of these regions and letting them keep Crimea. And even refraining from a NATO yes, um, right. application, That's he's already one. indicated that. But but you know, Putin's not taking it. So I don't think Zelensky needs any pressure from the United States at all. We're not doing that. But I I will say this, um, and I think Patrick and I will agree. We may agree for very different reasons, <laughs> but it is the smart thing not to have a direct engagement right now with russia by yeah. sending migs directly in there i think there's some you know maybe there are some creative ways to get them what they need but i do know um that for now biden has done the right thing by keeping us out of a direct engagement and bringing us directly into but it. why mm-hmm. shouldn't I-, I think why different shouldn't reasons. wait a
0: minute but why but, shouldn't why shouldn't sovereign sovereign nations right. like poland initially had the idea of sending in some Mm. Megs and and now but now you have other other uh, NATO members suggesting that they'd like Slovakia wants to send Mm. something in Hungary Hungary, uh, Romania I mean they have all come up uh, with things that they can do so again why should we be pouring cold water on that Greg if independent sovereign nations Want to help their neighbor, an independent sovereign nation, survive?
1: Why should they have to ask permission from the United States? Well, because I don't think anybody's acting as a sovereign nation. I think they're acting as yeah. NATO, okay. and I think that's really that's what's happening. Uh, someone has made the calculation, probably in the White House, that that would be the, uh, an escalation that might might react that uh, the reaction might be too strong uh, against NATO or against the United States or against Ukraine or whatever it might be. So somebody's just made that calculation. I know individual nations may want to do that, but NATO has to act in concert here because, frankly, that's what's been the real bonus of this uh, of this tragedy was, was that uh, NATO has really come together, Europe has come together along mm-hmm. with the United States to strengthen uh, each other in a way that I don't think Putin was expecting. So I, I think you, I think holding together that way is good. Mm-hmm.
0: Do, you, do you think that, that we will get to a point, uh, maybe in the not-too-distant future, When the United States is going to look like a wimp, even though we're sending billions of dollars of uh, of military weapons, the war continues. The pictures on television are are growing uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees. Mm -hmm. We're seeing destroyed cities. Lives are being lost. And, uh, you know, the president will talk about economic sanctions, which the average person on the street, I don't think, totally grasps. I don't even think the United States can can, can legitimately explain exactly what they all mean. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a sense, even from the way the, the general news media, the mainstream media sort of reporting this thing is, okay, we've done all this stuff, but, you know, people are still dying. I mean, do we look weak? And is there a chance that, you know, you know, because it is a political calculation, does Biden get tired of being perceived as maybe a wimp on this issue?
3: I don't see it that way, Bruce. I we've united Europe for the first time and in the strongest way since World War II and we've cratered the Russian economy which uh, you know up until about 6 months ago is Well, the seventh largest in the world, and is now in the top twenty-five. So Russia has fallen apart as a country. It's been defeated strategically by a significantly smaller part of its former empire, and we've united the West to stand against it. And I think that's what Biden's speech was about. So no, I don't think we look weak now, and I, I hope we don't going forward. But uh, go ahead.
2: But you know, let's. I mean, I think Zelensky is the the glue. He's the one that Mm -hmm. really has united NATO, the NATO countries. And, and insp- he's the one that has inspired even Americans here. Um, and so I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Zelensky yeah. for achieving that. However, what we have seen in this is we have seen just how unbalanced the Russian economy is. Mm. We've also seen, um, I think, an unintended consequence, something that I don't think anyone thought, and that is we've seen some major um, weaknesses in Russian military strategy. Uh, ones I, and, and maybe Greg, you could have some, you probably have better insight into that. We our Intel may have already indicated that, Hmm. but the world now sees that, you know, the, the normal Russian way of, of demolishing cities is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's in, it's in a free fall right now. It's, it's not working. I think at the beginning, everyone thought, um, would fall within days.
0: We're right,
2: a month after, Greg,
0: or a month out. What's your assessment of that? From a military perspective, well, I, it, and again, yeah. I, I guess a broader question I would ask, well, I'll, I'll ask that later. I, I want <laughs> okay. uh, to yeah. tackle this one first.
1: Well, I, it's interesting. you got to always have the strategy right, but I, I think people are shocked at the ineptitude of the tactical response. I mean, the troops are not good. I mean, the uh, equipment, might, some of it might have been good, but Ukraine took care of it pretty quickly. And I, uh, yeah. I I look at this completely differently. I, th- I think that Russia has been exposed. Their army has been exposed here for not being capable. Uh, that everybody thought this was the big Russian bear once again, and I I don't think anybody's going to worry about the Russian bear over the next twenty to thirty years because their army has been exposed. There's top-down management in, in the military, which never works, and. Uh, and you see the morale is very low right now the logistics is horrible it's just it's i think for most military observers from the west this is shocking to see what is happening does
0: it mean does it mean that uh, we have uh, uh, misread the situation our, have our intelligence agencies have they overreacted on the strength and power of the big bear and reality I, I, it's a little I, p- I, pussycat I, I, I,
1: I do i do think so but You know, when I I joined the Marine Corps back in 1978, all we did was study Soviet tactics for uh, 13, 15 years until the Berlin Wall came down. I mean, that was was the Mm -hmm. enemy. That's what we studied all the time. And now, I don't think uh, for whatever happened after that Berlin Wall came down, they may have uh, lots of people and lots of equipment, but that really doesn't mean anything unless you train well and know what to do with it all. America is... Uh, I no, I don't want us to get in, involved just like everybody else. But America is so far ahead of the rest of the world in our in our military. It's shocking how far, mm-hmm. even with our allies. Right. And um, Russia just looks uh, inept compared to what we thought they were going to be. Yeah. I
2: mean, he's you know we've seen that. The only thing that's even keeping him in the game, so to speak, is that his threat of going to a, a higher level of weapon that nobody wants to go to. And that that I feel how like how real
0: is that. How real is that? I mean, I don't mean to, I calling his bluff. Well, he, I mean, he, maybe he doesn't have the ability to do all the things he's going to say. If we're the other nuclear right. power, we're not gonna we're not gonna cast the first shot. Right. But we, again, we
2: what, know that about ourselves. What,
0: but, but but how do we really know that he is he go, is his decision about what he does with his nuclear weapons is, is that intelligence any greater? then the intelligence that says they have this phenomenal army that can fight maybe they can't greg
1: i i wonder <laughs> i wonder if the nuclear forces are capable yeah. honestly because they oh, take well. a lot of maintenance they take a lot of training yeah uh, but as as every military person knows capability takes a long time to build up it takes a long time to get there it takes years and years right. and years but decisions can be changed in an instance right right so they have the capability they could they can change their mind tomorrow and decide what to do with it but I just wonder if they're capable of doing anything with that
0: well that's what I don't want to know I wonder wonder whether we're um, overly reactive overly fearful of some military attack using nuclear weapons I say maybe we should test it back shortly
10: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
8: 145 over 92.
5: 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood
11: pressure numbers could change your life. A
12: lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke
4: my memory is shot when i woke up i couldn't speak
11: lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke if you've stopped your treatment plan restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org it's a new life
12: but i'm going to make it better uh, coming back ask your doctor check your blood pressure
11: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical
4: Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
0: Mr. Tumont back, and we continue with Beyond the Beltway. Uh, In our next hour, we're going to be talking about the issue of refugees and all the the issues involving refugees uh, in Ukraine uh, swarming into all of the surrounding countries there. And we'll have somebody from World Relief uh, to talk about how the uh, processes being handled, and uh, uh, give you an opportunity to to involve yourself if you choose to do so. But right now, I want each of our guests to take a moment to uh, take fifteen twenty seconds, introduce themselves, and uh, we're going to start with our in studio guests, uh, Stephanie. Hit. I'm. Stephanie. You have a new thing to announce.
2: I do have a new thing to announce. Uh, not only am I just a Republican <laughs> activist, but I have taken on the role of chief advisor and campaign manager for the. Kathy Salvi for US Senate campaign. So she's running currently in the re, uh, in the Republican primary mm-hmm. and in June and uh, looking to take on Tammy Duckworth for that US Senate seat in the
0: fall. Mm-hmm. And we should mention yes. for those around the country, there's about 6 or 7 people that are involved in yes. that primary mm-hmm. at the moment. It's a crowded but you're one. here, you're a you're a regular guest you're on this program. And, uh, yeah. So you got a job now. That's good.
2: Yeah, and I just, <laughs> you know, I it's it's time to keep fighting.
0: very keep good. Fighting
2: for Illinois. And
0: that obviously will be one of the uh, that will be a tremendous uphill uh, surprise win if Tammy Duckworth is defeated. But, but again, the those, wins
2: are at our back right now. Well, that's, that's what they all
0: say. Well, good luck. We'll see how good they Good luck are. to you and good yeah. luck to everybody else in that primary. Uh, let's go to Patrick Hanley. Patrick, tell us what you're involved in.
3: Sure, I'm a businessman uh, who lives in Winnetka, Illinois. I work at a company founded by my wife called Piglet In Bed. We sell pajamas, sustainably sourced linen, homewares, and that sort of thing. So if you're uh, in the market for some bedding, head over to pigletinbed.com and we've got your back. Uh, before that I was a public... the Mike
0: Lindell of the left. Oh God, please don't call me <laughs> <laughs> do do
3: slippers? Do do slippers. We uh no, we don't do slippers yet. No.
0: If I, I want to if I if I was Fox, I would pay I would refuse to take any more Mike Lindell ads. Because oh, yeah. I think people turn okay. off Fox when they ever when they see the yes. So there's four ads an hour bad for business okay, can I, I, it is bad can
2: for business I, <laughs> I, I just want to say my pillow pillow I have neck issues and it has been I'm gonna just say this oh, no. before I even knew anything about Mike Vandell yeah. it has been the no, only pillow good. that no, I, no, can, no, I no. can sleep with and the slippers <laughs> are awesome I'm not
0: gonna lie no, the, the, awesome. the product is get is, <laughs> but, but just to see him come on with, with his little face and and uh, yeah. uh, his flag I know
2: but I will not lie my neck is better
0: <laughs> but anyway well anyway uh greg ballard i hope you don't have stock in the country uh, company but go ahead <laughs> tell me what I, would you would agree with that.
1: I bought i bought one like uh, three or four years ago oh yeah with, uh, stephanie's uh, comments on that one that's yeah. good yeah i'm uh, greg ballard grew up in indianapolis went to indian university joined the marine Corps, active duty for 23 years persian Gulf War veteran uh, came back home and uh, five six years later they elected me mayor of indianapolis and i did that for eight years so uh it's been a it's been a good journey for me and uh kind of semi-retired down here in Myrtle Beach uh, maybe moving again here shortly but uh, maybe back to Indianapolis but uh, it's been a good run for me and I'm, I'm happy got a wife of uh, 39 years and uh, two children
0: now again if you're coming from Indianapolis and you were mayor there for eight years uh, you must must know a lot of uh, Indiana's famous uh, citizens um, I do how would you describe your relationship with Mike Pence
1: uh, actually it was a really, really good. I campaigned for him the first time. Uh, well, the only time he ran mm-hmm. to governor and we were pretty, pretty tight throughout all that. The religious freedom restoration act, uh, put a little bit of friction in there because of uh, what happened in 2015, uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, lots of the, the parts of the economy, particularly the, uh, visitor economy, the sports economy, was on the verge of collapse. Uh, while that, well after the legislature passed that and the governor mm-hmm. signed it and I had to, I was out publicly, uh, nationally, uh, campaigning against my friends and saying mm-hmm. something has to change about this and it did eventually but it, that, ever since then it's been a little bit tense a little bit tense but, but we're kind to each other but it's been a little tense do you
0: do you think he is a serious possibility to run for president against uh donald trump in 2024 is that real it,
1: i i think he will run uh for the camp campaign but i don't think he'll win it Someone was musing the
0: other day that if you look at uh, his evangelical bona fides and if you look at, let's say, traditional Republicans who were not big fans of Donald Trump, that in a Republican primary, that might be an interesting slice of the electorate that maybe could take him a lot further than uh, people who might look at that race casually. Do you agree with
1: that? Does he have some legs to... Be a serious I, I, I think. I think he has some legs, and he certainly has a base of operations. Uh, no question about that. But I, I, I just don't think he'll he'll be able to uh, generate enough interest amongst uh, the other parts of the party. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't. I don't think he connects with them uh, in that way. I'm, he's a nice guy. I, I say this all the time. Uh, Whether you agree with his policies or not, he's absolutely the nicest guy in politics. I don't think there's any question about that. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think he'll connect with the rest of the base. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, One of the
0: other big stories last week was obviously the uh, uh, hearings uh, into the Supreme Court domination uh, of Justice Brown Jackson. And uh, some have suggested that maybe the Republicans uh, were too tough on her uh we'll start with you again greg uh did you get a chance to see some of that uh, hearing and if so uh, uh what grade, I, I saw, what grade I, would you give I, your republicans
1: I, I, i'm looking at patrick and he looks like uh he could be my grandson but so he may not <laughs> understand, so, understand okay, okay. some of these comments but uh, i really prefer the days uh, before robert bork yeah uh, when uh, the we had uh, if they were qualified by the american bar association they they were in yeah. AND BOTH PARTIES RECOGNIZED uh, WHAT WAS GOING ON. but SO I, I PREFER yeah. uh, THOSE DAYS. ALL THAT SAID, I'm, uh, I THINK WHATEVER HAPPENED TO THE JUDGE THIS WEEK, WHICH DIDN'T APPEAR TO BE MUCH, yeah. uh, THAT THIS IS MORE ABOUT CLARENCE THOMAS AND BRETT KAVANAUGH THAN IT WAS ABOUT ANYTHING that, ABOUT uh, JUDGE JACKSON. So, uh, AND THE FUNNY THING IS THAT THE REPUBLICANS uh, IN THE SENATE WERE COMPLETELY INEPT ABOUT TRYING TO GO AFTER HER BECAUSE SHE'S BRILLIANT, SHE'S, uh, she's CALM, she's motherly uh, proud to be an American and that's kind of tough to work against so yeah uh, no. I, I think I think she'll get there
0: yeah. no I, I agree with that I, I said in a Facebook post I said I, I am a firm believer regardless of who the president is one of the one of the major perks of being president of the United States is you get your pick for the yep. Supreme Court and that's it yep. good, good or bad the way it, that's the way and it is. Uh, that's the way I think it should be and again Pleasure when too. you when you have uh, several Republicans that are going to decide for their own political edification uh, to, I think, make an ass of themselves in, in, in hearings uh, just to, uh, to beat a, a dead oh. horse. Right. It, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't help them. And I, I right. even said, I said, and I'm going to get your reaction, Stephanie, I said that a lot of the suburban Republicans mm. who in the past, suburban Republican women who allegedly were turned off by Donald Trump oh if those people were watching these hearings they would not think kindly of the republican members of the senate because they would view that 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 they were overbearing right. and they would be less likely to go back and vote for a democrat come november right but again if those senators well, were a little more uh you know believing and understanding of the the political dynamic right. uh maybe there's a chance that those women would come back.
2: Well, here's the thing with that. I mean, there still is a pretty dramatic contrast with the way she was treated than, say, Kavanaugh. I Where, know, everybody no. agrees with that, and but that's, so, what, that's and so water over so that the we dam. we gave up an opportunity to prove that we're the more reasonable <clears throat> yes. party. that's yes. I get that. And so um, and you're right. I agree you're 100% right. You, you're president. You win. You get your picks. That's pretty much how it is, yeah. and and so um, that's that's always um, that's that's the consequence of elections. And if you don't like it, vote differently. But we did by doing that. We did give up um, that that full you know argument that see look how much better we are at treating people. Mm-hmm. But yeah. on the other hand, what I thought yeah. was interesting, and this is more of a substantive matter. And that is, and it doesn't have to do about the definition of woman. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but I am going to say what I thought very interesting was that she wanted in talking about her judicial philosophy, and I think those are very important understanding you know when you have someone there, she needs that person needs to be introduced to the American public so they understand what's at stake um that she talked about being an originalist, yeah. And that's not a bad word anymore. Mm. Now, is she really an originalist and all of that? That's to be seen. Mm. We don't see a lot of signs of that. However, I found it interesting that she thought those were the words that need to be said. That was the position she needed to take Mm -hmm. to get, you know, everybody comfortable with her, Mm. whether she ends up being one or not. I mean, and if you look back, even Kagan in her own hearings Hinted at the fact that the you know the original meaning of the words were important. Mm-hmm. Now she hasn't really ruled that way, but I find it interesting that that was the kiss of you know that was scary stuff before, mm-hmm. and now that seems to be the branding you want to add.
13: Mm-hmm.
2: And so what maybe in some way um, you know Republicans have realized you know they've they've taught people that those wow. that philosophy is important. And Democrats are trying to at least tiptoe. the big yeah. thing. The big thing is they could have
0: risen. They could have risen to the occasion and said, "We're going to turn the other cheek. We're not going to look into that rearview mirror." We know and how yet, this goes. Lindsey right. Graham was was focused on the rearview mirror. I don't think people have to be reminded what a horrible job the Democrats did in in roughing up uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh and to a lesser extent uh, Judge Barrett. But again, uh, the, the way they did it was a mistake. And again, uh, you know right. the the, uh, the importance of having an African American woman, obviously. <laughs> Honestly, that was right. important. Right, who's to going Democrats. to serve
2: as a role model. Right. Okay. Very important. You
0: know, and it doesn't... It, but it was so important. That was so important. It was something that Barack Obama didn't care about. It was something that Bill Clinton, allegedly the first president of the United States, he didn't care about it. So I mean, we've waited 30 years for the Democratic Party to think it's important. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly.
9: We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support.
6: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in English language is less convincing than
7: probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh,
8: you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! <laughs> cramp! Oh, I have a cramp.
7: Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
0: Bruce Dumont back. uh, Greg Ballard, how likely is it that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas didn't know what his wife was thinking or writing?
1: That's a great question. You want to try that one first, Greg? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I do to oh, know God. what my wife is doing, and she doesn't know what I'm doing. So I, mm. I think he probably, probably knew, but I, holy cow, uh, that's uh, that's rather embarrassing stuff to me, Stephanie. Are you embarrassed?
2: Okay.
0: Do you know uh, everything your husband says and thinks and writes? You know,
2: maybe Greg, I mean you got you've been married a little bit longer than I have. So maybe that, you know, I was you know, my husband and I have an idea of what we say and write, but I don't know. He has you know, we don't we have separate emails. But on the other hand, I mean I, I do I, I do believe that, you know, her frustration, the eve of the election, all of that. Yeah. You know, she and, and those emails really center around a very short period of time right around that election. Um, how much of it is just, oh, we're frustrated. What can we do? What can we do? We know that strong activists are that way. I mean, that's there are different ways to look at the content of that email. And are they an expression of frustration as opposed to you know, demands for action mm-hmm. and so on? So I think that. Um, you know, but that nobody's going to look at that. Nobody's going to care about that. They're just, they're just shouldn't going to be she have to known
0: the impact that that could have on her husband? Yes, and that I mean that's she pretty that the she can feel that way, but you know she she's got to you know at least and again a lot of feminists are saying whoa you, why are you saying that? But I mean the reality is she should when you're married when
2: you're married you're a partnership. You
3: can't have such an overtly political job when your husband is hypothetically an impartial judge in the yeah. nation's highest court.
0: So he well, will recuse ta- himself. Well, and in they're the talking future, about changing himself? the
2: ethics rules about because the Supreme Court yeah. isn't ne- isn't held to the same ethics standards right.
0: Right. as other federal judges. They make their own rules.
2: Um, and, you know, do we want to yeah. live in a world where, you know, e- the best person can't do that job mm. just because, you know, they're married to
0: mm-hmm. a politician? Mm-hmm. But there will be recusal. Whatever. Does anybody think there will not be a recusal I, on that? I
2: think Ju- Justice Thomas will do that. Greg?
0: Thing.
1: Yeah. I hope he does but, yeah, but we
3: is. have no evidence for that right so he didn't recuse himself with regards to the the trump emails back in when they when they made the decision Well they weren't known yet yeah. Well no, but he knew he caught. knew what his wife was he was the only one not to uh, to to vote against right and while his wife is this vociferous advocate yes. in favor of Possibly insurrection, you know. It looks pretty bad, and he made that decision already. I don't see any evidence to suggest that he might recuse himself now,
0: Greg. When you are making your way uh, amongst uh, your many fans who recall your days as mayor, or even in your personal life now, uh, in a like a cocktail party situation, sure. does does the does the January sixth incident come up in general discussions? Do people talk people uh, it talking not... about
1: it? It is not, ge- generally speaking, except in very private conversations. Mm-hmm. People will talk about it in that regard. Will they talk about it in groups of more than four or five? No, I I certainly have not experienced that at all. Mm-hmm. I think people kind of uh, keep that all quiet. What would they? Uh, what, but, what,
0: what gen- what, what's the general tone of, of those smaller conversations without revealing your sources?
1: Uh, shocked that our party can't see what it was.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Stephanie,
0: same question to you. You know, You're a social butterfly.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There are some very, very discreet and specific groups and areas I know where people talk about it. But generally, in my world of Republican politics and activism, it's really just not its not talked about a lot.
0: Um, do you mean, know anybody a, that went there? Do you know anybody do that was not.
2: there? I know people that were accused. I do know this. I know accused people that out. were accused by... Personal enemies of having been there mm-hmm. and the FBI was called and they were not there and people tried to do that use it to hurt people and I know people that were you know um, question about their activities uh, when they were nowhere near the, but because they were known Trump supporters so I do know that that happened and that people but I will say this there is a there is a frustration and people are shocked, and when you do start talking about it is that there are people still sitting in jail in Washington, D.C., some in solitary confinement, with nothing, maybe not even officially charged or charged with, you know, minimal charges such as trespassing. They cannot get, cannot get legal representation. I, I'm sorry. And that is frustrating. Patrick, that when I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. There is That is frustrating. For the few, very few people that are in that situation, right, let when, when people are bailed out for BLM rights. And sorry. I think there's a lot that's, of people, that's okay, what, a lot of people that talk defer, about let's it. Let's defer
11: terms to, terms of that.
3: to the Democrats. Yeah. I'm sorry. I gotta say that's what folks are frustrated about the the attempted coup against the Capitol as no, votes were no, being they... counted in the legislature when people broke into the Capitol building wearing all manner of costume carrying weapons into the Capitol. And the frustration that you hear among Republican friends is that a few folks are sitting in prison because they're waiting to be sentenced by by a judge.
2: No, they're not even waiting to be sentenced. They haven't been charged. They're not even allowed to get there's a question failed. about
0: the weapons and too. there
2: is a huge and there is a huge question about the weapons and the point is we saw tremendous amount of destruction riots and death in the BLM riots nobody can deny that and yet we know we we know that many people were never charged were never hunted down These facial recognition was never used well, and wait, so a there's right. a there's wait, a disparate wait, 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 treatment second, Greg, there is a Greg, disparate Greg. treatment.
1: Go to you. This, Great. The, I, I keep hearing that argument. That's a. I'm I'm sorry, sir. That's a silly argument. Yeah. One tried to overthrow the will of the voters. Yeah. That, that's just. That's, one is a, a protest that may have gone not out of hand, but the other one is an attempted selection against the United States yeah. against the voters of the United States. Those are two completely different things, and they they are not equivalent in any way.
2: Well, let me let me just cycle back. You asked me mm-hmm. what am I hearing. Yeah. I I'm not understand. necessarily telling you what I believe. What yeah. I'm explaining to you. Is the, the when there is residual discussion on this topic, mm-hmm. this is where the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. The con- conversation isn't really about comparing that event, and I am what I was one of the very first people to say this is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. This is right. not how we behave. This is Most not how we protest. people said that at the beginning. Exactly. I would hope so. And Maybe we were that. But yeah. when you talk to other people. This is this is where they they feel frustrated.
0: Okay, we've got a pause is where they feel frustrated. on that note. Greg Ballard, thank you very much, you. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, retired United States Marine Corps, and the former two-term uh, mayor of Indianapolis, Indiana, joins us. Patrick and Stephanie will be back in hour number two, and we'll be joined
10: by Matt Sorens of World Relief. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. 145 over 92.
5: 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke.
11: Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
12: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact. Of having a stroke.
4: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
11: Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
12: but I'm to make it better. I'm coming back. To ask your doctor, check your blood
11: pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
4: It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at lls.org.
0: Bruce Dumont back in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway and uh, Patrick Hanley and Stephanie Hitt join me in studio at WIND in Chicago, and uh, joining us via Zoom uh, for this hour of the broadcast is Matthew Sorens. He is U.S. Director of Church Mobilization and Advocacy with World Relief, that is one of the leading uh, relief refugee agencies in the world, and he joins us because there has been so much uh, said, written, and we've all watched the horrible stories of what's been happening with the women and children fleeing Ukraine. And uh, we thought that we would invite uh, Matthew back to uh, to share sort of what's going on and uh, if there's some things that uh, those living in the United States can do to help this worldwide situation. But, Matthew, let, let me begin by talking about, obviously, there are many relief agencies in the world. World Relief is one of the largest. Uh, how are things coordinated with all of the... Uh, social uh, refugee organizations in the world, so you're not bumping into each other.
13: Yeah, it's a great question, Bruce, and thanks for the opportunity to to be with you all. Good. Um, there's obviously multi, there's a various ways that we're responding to this situation, both in terms of the possibility of resettlement of refugees to the United mm-hmm. States but also the immediate humanitarian response that's uh, within Ukraine and then, of course, within the bordering countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking at least for World Relief, we work through a coalition called the Integral Alliance of, of like-minded organizations that partner together to say, how can we best pool the limited resources that we have and um, work with local partners on the ground? So in many cases, in the crisis in Ukraine, and even in Poland and elsewhere, it's local churches, uh, community organizations, um, to do our best to communicate. Obviously, that's challenging in a crisis situation um, to coordinate everything all at once. But it is, uh, uh, you know, it's a really an important opportunity for the world to come together. And, and the people here in the United States obviously have a, a key role in that as well. And that's mm-hmm. even before we get to the question of Ukrainians arriving here to the United States, which is, is certainly a possibility as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, because yours is more of an evangelical, uh, Protestant, uh, organization, if, if I have read it correctly, uh, and the fact that those res- residing in Ukraine uh, and even in Poland might tend to be Roman Catholic, is there any denominational uh, division or, or uh, subdivisions that that's set up when you're dealing across uh, religious lines?
13: Yeah, you know, it's a good question. Uh, our, uh, we are an evangelical Christian organization, and that certainly motivates the work that we do. You know, I think that the motivation we have would be something we would share with with Roman Catholics or Orthodox Christians or uh, mm-hmm. other Christian groups, certainly as well. It's a you know a similar, um, you know, rooted in the scriptures, the, the Christian scriptures. Um, BUT WE DO SERVE PEOPLE REGARDLESS OF THEIR BACKGROUND, WHETHER THEY'RE CHRISTIAN Mm -hmm. OR OF A DIFFERENT FAITH TRADITION AND WHATEVER KIND OF CHRISTIAN THEY MAY BE. OBVIOUSLY WITH UKRAINE, IT'S PRIMARILY A CHRISTIAN POPULATION, Mm -hmm. BUT THERE ARE, YOU KNOW, THERE ARE MINORITY Protestant POPULATIONS, THERE'S ORTHODOX, um, MANY ORTHODOX AS WELL, THERE'S PEOPLE WHO DON'T Mm -hmm. HAVE ANY FAITH, BUT WE SERVE THEM IN ALL THE the SAME WAYS, AND Mm -hmm. EVEN THOUGH WE'RE OFTEN WORKING THROUGH LOCAL CHURCHES.
0: WHAT what ARE YOU DOING RIGHT NOW IN UKRAINE and, and, AND POLAND AND ROMANIA and, and Moldova and some of the countries that have been uh, uh, incoming uh, to refugees from uh, Ukraine.
13: Yeah, so World Relief's work there is through local partners, and as well as some international partners as well, because um, frankly, most relief and development organizations weren't Uh, on the ground in europe uh, prior to this crisis but we found a few that were as well as local organizations churches included Um, so it's really a basic humanitarian response so providing people with food providing people with cash assistance especially um, sometimes just transportation assistance Mm because the first country they reach may not be where they intend to stay Mm -hmm. Um, and um, also just connecting people to you know to a a warm reception they've gone through as we've all seen just a horrific situation that they've had to flee and it is
0: on these borders let's say with, with Poland uh there are many cities in Poland that are accepting uh the, the refugees is that correct it is not yeah, just really. they're not they're not all going through one uh, turnstile there there's many cities
13: that's correct and they're going to various countries as well really okay. throughout you know all the countries surrounding that and and,
0: and, when, when, and, when, going, when, yeah. and sorry and and when they arrive there okay so they they cross the border uh uh, are there are there local border guards polish border border guards that check them in do they welcome them in open open minded with without any questions at all or uh, how quickly does their processing begin to some extent
13: yeah I mean the, there's some element of processing they're checking people especially especially for Ukrainian nationals so one of the challenges we have seen early on was you have people fleeing from ukraine who are not actually ukrainians and um, right. uh, you know who are migrants from other parts of the world who are residing in ukraine uh, some of them initially had some trouble getting across but from from what i've been told um from my understanding that's been resolved largely and people mm-hmm. are able to get out who need to get out um again this is largely women and children and for the most part men are not you know of a certain age are being expected to stay in ukraine
10: mm. um,
13: but yeah there's an issue, there's some processing and of course there's just a lot of people to process but the the polish government along with the other eu countries have generally been very open to those fleeing from ukraine i think there's a, a great deal of solidarity um understanding frankly that the threat that they're fleeing is a potential threat to poland and to other countries as well and there's a, a real eagerness to to stand in solidarity with the people who are making the difficult decision to flee.
0: Once someone gets into a country, whether it's a receiving country, whether it's Poland or Romania, um, how long generally do they stay at the border at this receiving uh, you know, center that there may be tents that are set up or certainly temporary uh, living conditions? Uh, how, how long do they generally stay there before they are on a bus or train going inward someplace else in Europe or even being, being driven by uh, individuals in their cars?
13: I mean, I think it, it's difficult to speak of what generally happens because this is, you know, the situation has been happening for a month. And right. so it's different than a lot of other refugee crises, mm-hmm. frankly, just in terms of the scope. I mean, it's not unprecedented to have three, three and a half million people flee a country, uh, but it is, yeah. to my knowledge, in three or three and a half weeks to have so many people leaving. Um, You know, I can't speak specifically to how long people are staying. I know some people are staying relatively close to the border with the hope that this will be a short term situation and they'll be able to go back quickly. Mm -hmm. Others are, are maybe less optimistic and are you know, immediately moving forward, hoping to get to Germany or to France or to the United Kingdom and to, you know, put down roots in a new place and, and, and find work and be able to support themselves. And most of the European countries have been fairly um, accommodating in terms of offering a temporary legal protection. So you
0: have you you have uh, uh, some processing and some service services provided in Ukraine before someone gets outside of Ukraine? They're being so working with- on the buffer zone there?
13: We're working with partners um, who are there in Western Ukraine, as well mm-hmm. as in some of the, the surrounding countries. Mm-hmm. So it's not world staff, but we're able to help work with partners who are on the ground. Okay.
0: We have guests here in Chicago. I think they have a question or comment. And uh, Patrick Hanley, will let you start.
3: Yeah, sure. Matt, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight and for the work that you do. It's such an important component to this crisis. Um, so I just want to share my appreciation to you. And I'm curious, in the communities that you've worked with in the past, are there kind of best case studies, best best practices of communities in either the United States or elsewhere uh, that have really done a good job welcoming and resettling refugees? And if so, what, what have they done that's different?
13: Yeah, no, I appreciate that question, Patrick. I mean, so World Relief has been resettling refugees here in the United States since the late 1970s. So we've seen, you know, starting, our program started with the Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen groups of refugees from various countries, various parts of the world.
0: Matt, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm inter, gonna uh, interrupt you right now. We do have to cause pause for a break. When we come back, we'll pick up with your answer to the question. I'm Bruce Dumont along with Stephanie Hitt and Patrick Hanley tonight on Beyond the Beltway.
6: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing
7: than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure.
5: Um, We'll probably stay together.
7: Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes (laughs) since I ate. I can probably swim.
8: Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, (laughs) tell me what to do. Cannonball!
7: If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Bus driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council.
5: 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke.
11: Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
12: A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
4: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
11: Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
12: but I am want to make it better. Uh, coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure.
11: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
0: Bruce Dumont back. We continue with uh, Matt Sorens from World Relief. And uh, Matt, you were in the middle of an answer when we had to break for the spot. So go ahead.
13: Yeah, you know, I would say our experience and we've resettled at world relief about 300,000 refugees since the late 1970s. So we've had, you know, a lot of experience with this, um, including a lot from Ukraine, actually. More than 7000 Ukrainians just in the last decade have come through world relief mm. to our offices around the country. Um, consistently, I think, you know, there's a lot of needs when refugees first arrive. But one of the things we found is uh, often a need is it's just friendship, which is probably pretty obvious to anyone who has ever had to leave home and be all yeah. by themselves in a new place. Um, so one of the things we we do at World Relief is we, you know, we want to bring together teams of volunteers to surround families, you know, if they want that's up to them and they almost always do. Mm-hmm. Um, who will walk with them through the adjustment of life in an, a new culture, learning a new language in most cases. Um, you know, the World Relief staff is there to help with those things as well, but a, a team from a, a local church or community organization can come alongside in a, in a you know closer relational way. And we found that that's an important sort of best practice is to make sure people are connected relationally as they arrive in a new place.
0: In the United States, uh, what regions of the country or states within the United States are uh, have the record of accepting the most Ukrainians in the past? Where have they gone in the past?
13: In the recent past, most Ukrainians who've come in in the last decade have come in through a program that is it's a program that goes back to like the the kind of Cold War era that prioritizes religious minorities. So it's a mm-hmm. lot of Evangelical Christians and Jewish refugees who've generally qualified under that program. It's called the Lautenberg um, Amendment. Mm-hmm. Most of those folks have gone into California and Washington, at least within our network. So Sacramento is a huge hub for the Slavic community, mm-hmm. Spokane, Seattle, Washington, as well, um, which is where, as we expect to begin to see more Ukrainians arrive post this new invasion from Russia. Uh, we would anticipate that a lot of that will be family reunification, and that will end up going to some of those same communities. But here in Chicagoland, we also have a pretty large, um, you know, significant number of Ukrainians mm-hmm. who've been resettled as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, those that are coming, uh, are are they primarily farmers? Are they white collar workers? What are the what are the educational skills? And again, most of the people that are coming now are women and children. They may or may not have a professional uh, con- contingent to them. But, I mean, if their husbands uh, you know, finish this war at some point, uh, they will want to rejoin them, I would think. Uh, either rejoin them back in Ukraine or rejoin them uh, in uh, Seattle or Spokane
13: yeah i should be clear at this point i mean we've been resettling ukrainians um for many years but actually it was halted with the invasion of russia the the people who were were anticipating arriving this month have have not arrived okay just last week a few days ago uh, president biden announced that there's going to be a large number of ukrainians resettled to the us Mm -hmm. but we haven't gotten a lot of details on who those people are when they'll be arriving precisely where they'll be arriving um, we do anticipate it will significantly be family reunification. Yeah. So, I think, uh, you have... I think he said 100. I
0: think he said 100,000. That's yeah. the number
13: he said, and and we don't know exactly the details on again if those all come in through the formal refugee resettlement program, or that could include other legal avenues to come to the United States as well. Um, but we're waiting on some details while also preparing to to be able to receive people. And I should say we have a lot of those Ukrainians who've come in the past who are desperate for their loved ones, and frankly, a number on our staff. Um, WHO ARE REALLY CONCERNED ABOUT LOVED ONES IN UKRAINE. MOST UKRAINIANS, FRANKLY, PROBABLY DON'T WANT TO COME TO THE UNITED STATES. I MEAN, THEY WANT TO GO BACK TO UKRAINE. THAT WOULD BE THE FIRST CHOICE. But the longer this goes on, and especially for those who already have relatives in California or in Illinois or in Washington State, coming to the U.S. may be the most, uh, you know, the best option for them. And, and we are eager to see the U.S. government make that mm-hmm. option available.
0: Insofar as where government funds might go, uh, it would seem to me that either Poland or Romania or Moldova uh, or uh, you know, even the Slavic nations would be most likely, uh, most likely places. Uh, are there special things that you know that the U.S. government has already set up in those countries to alleviate the pressure on their economies? I know this is no, a little I... far afield of what you do, but I'm just historically, uh, uh, if Romania needs some help, uh, are they getting some help from the United States at the moment? Yeah, I mean that
13: was part of the announcement that President Biden made uh, this past week, along with the number of the refugees coming to the United States, was a significant amount of funding that the U.S. will be sending um, both um, to Ukraine, but also to some of those neighboring countries. Yeah, I mean, a country like sure. is among the poorest countries in Europe, and it is. Mm-hmm you know, long term it may actually benefit them if they have some new people feeding into the economy. Historically refugees actually are an economic benefit to the country that receives them but in the short term it can be a lot of stress on, on the place that's receiving them especially when there's so many coming all
0: at once. Stephanie hits got a question well, for you. yeah,
2: I mean I guess you touched on some of this um, and that is do you anticipate um, you know, our government increasing the number of people? I know Biden mentioned 100,000 people and And how many people do you really think will take advantage of that? Because, you know, the experience is, you know, we have Ukrainian village. You know, our our family has some very close Ukrainian friends as well. And and many of the stories we've heard are of people who have gone to Germany and Poland to help their family get out, and many of them want to stay nearby. They don't want to come back to the U.S. Um, You know, they don't want to come to the U.S. because I think there is that feeling of, you know, I want to go home at some point. So, do you do you do you anticipate that full hundred thousand being used and needing more, or um, or do you really see the resettlement you know the resettlement efforts are going to be focused in um, predominantly Europe. in Europe?
13: Yeah, I think certainly the vast majority of refugees fleeing right now will stay in Europe. But that would be true even if a hundred thousand out of Three and a half or 4 million did come to the United States. You know, precisely the number, you know, no one should will be made to come to the United States. That would be an option that might be given to people. Um, it's hard for me to predict, you know, will there be exactly 100,000 who want that option or more or less, who would want it or less? Um, I also think this is a somewhat unique refugee situation in that people have a relatively well-off uh, safe place to flee to in a neighboring context. I mean, we also serve refugees who have fled OTHER CONTEXTS WHERE THERE WASN'T, I MEAN, FRANKLY, THE AFGHANS WHO, YOU KNOW, WE'VE BEEN SERVING JUST IN THE LAST SEVEN OR EIGHT MONTHS, THAT'S ALMOST mm-hmm. MOVED OUT OF THE HEADLINES, BUT THAT'S STILL A VERY URGENT SITUATION. AND THE NEIGHBORING COUNTRIES THERE ARE NOT NECESSARILY GREAT PLACES FOR THOSE FLEEING THE PERSECUTION OF THE Taliban TO FLEE TO. Mm-hmm. OR, YOU KNOW, GO BACK SEVERAL YEARS, THE SYRIAN CRISIS, WHICH WAS mm-hmm. FLEEING LITERALLY SOME OF THE SAME MISSILES FROM THE RUSSIAN GOVERNMENT mm-hmm. THAT PEOPLE IN UKRAINE ARE NOW FLEEING, mm-hmm. um, YOU KNOW, they you know, Jordan has received a large number of people, so has Turkey, so has Lebanon, but they're often in pretty desperate camp settings. And those are under you know low income countries or moderate income countries that don't have a lot of resources to care for a very large number of people. So our hope is that this allows Ukrainians to come as, you know, as that makes sense, especially for family reunification, or anyone who might not be able to safely go back home um, whenever that becomes an option, we hope it's soon. Um, but also, that it would help rebuild the refugee resettlement program for those fleeing other conflicts who mm-hmm. may have been in a camp setting for five, 10, sometimes and we've served people who've sat in a refugee camp for 20 or 25 years wow. in many cases.
2: Wow. Wow. So, uh, how quickly are you seeing people, at least in the Ukrainian crisis, how quickly are they getting across the border and spending time before they move on to another location? Is it a matter of days? Um, are people moving through pretty quickly? Um, I
13: mean, in terms of other locations, like within the EU, some people are able to move relatively quickly. Uh, again, to be clear, I'm not aware that almost anyone has come, at least formally, as a refugee to the United States. Some who might have a tourist visa are able to get on an airplane and come, and then potentially seek asylum once they get to the United States. Or um, they may, you know, want to just, you know, the original tourist visa GETS six months here. That might be enough for some yeah. people and hope to be able to go back. We've even seen people flying to Mexico and seeking hmm. asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, because that they had a visa to get to Mexico, they didn't have a visa to get to the United States. But that was a you know a possibility to try to get to safety. Yeah. But the resettlement program usually is a long-term operation. It, it's not the Afghan situation was very unique with the evacuation that happened there. But in general, people are resettled to the United States as refugees years, not months or weeks after yeah. they flee uh, an initial yeah. crisis. We have a
0: call uh, from Ben in El Paso, Texas, listening to us on KTSM. Go ahead, you're on the air, Ben. Hello, Ben. Are you there?
10: Can you hear me? Go Can ahead. you hear me?
0: Yes. Go ahead, Ben.
9: Okay. Okay. Uh, we're going to take our president says we're going to take in a hundred thousand Ukrainian. Yes. Okay. I've got a lot of people in my in my in my city. I've seen pictures in New York City. I'm sure it's all throughout the land of our country, there's plenty of American citizens that are in food, food lines uh, because they, they can't, uh, because of inflation is going to uh, makes it where they, they don't have any food. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're going to spend how much money in order to settle these people in our country? And then also, um, you know, if we spend the money, we don't have the money. We just have to print it up, which adds to inflation. So, you know, you bring the Ukrainians in, to the united states then what just okay. like the same way that you bring
0: the people in from the from uh, mexico okay take take up take a breath now uh relax i'm gonna let yeah. matt uh tackle this because i'm sure uh, he has heard it i know doing a talk show uh, uh this is a, a lament that i hear periodically uh how much can the united states do when is enough enough and uh You know, what about those in the United States that might need some of these uh, tender, loving care uh, services that are being provided by World Relief? Uh, Matt?
13: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is if you talk to economists. Most of them actually think that taking more refugees would actually be in in the long-term economic interests of the United States. Um, A couple of economists at Notre Dame did a study a few years back and found that 20 years after arrival, the average refugee adult has uh, paid in more than $21,000 more in taxes hmm. at all levels, federal, state and local, than the combined cost of governmental expenditures on their behalf. So including these, the cost for initial resettlement, any public benefits that they've qualified for over those 20 years. So there are some upfront costs associated with this, but it's probably in our long-term economic interests. I mean, to be clear, at World Relief, we're a Christian organization. We do, we We want to welcome people because we believe that they're made in the image of God, their lives have value and they're worth protecting as they're fleeing a truly horrific situation, whether that's in Ukraine or, or Syria or Afghanistan or wherever. But frankly, it's precisely because we think that these are people made in the image of the Creator God that they also have potential to create and to contribute. And we, when see we that come
0: back, when we come back, Ben, are you still on the line? Yes, I am. Stay yes. on the line. We're gonna to talk to you when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont.
4: learn more at lls.org
5: this is the story of a very special woman in a matter of seconds she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur her knowledge was limitless and still is she could also make monsters disappear especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed
6: Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP EMIAD Council. No word in the English language is less convincing
7: than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first
5: date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together.
7: Probably.
0: two months back and uh matt sorens so we're going to have a moment and let everybody uh, hear a little bit about your background uh tell us a little bit uh, uh where you're from and uh what are you up to we know that you're with the world relief but give us your uh, background and and what was it about that work that uh, you chose to make it your life's work
13: yeah you know i grew up, up in wisconsin a little, uh, small city about three hours north of chicago and came down to the chicagoland area to go to uh, wheaton college and while there i did a six-month internship with world relief in nicaragua so mm-hmm. world relief's got operations all over the world um all with the same mission of empowering local churches to serve the vulnerable but you know who the vulnerable are in any given context varies mm-hmm. i came back from that six months in nicaragua and really really enjoyed the time and really appreciated the mission of the organization so i applied for a job with our office in wheaton illinois at the time and that was um, almost 17 years ago now. So I've right. been at the organization quite a while. And in the U.S., including in Chicagoland in three locations, um, we primarily are focused on serving refugees and other immigrants. So that's what I've done first with doing legal services and then I'm working primarily with church partners and some policy issues for the last number of years.
0: Okay, thanks very much. Stephanie Hitt, give us the brief version of who you are.
2: Oh, I'm Stephanie Head, and I am a Republican activist, and I am currently serving as the uh, chief advisor for a new, newly announced Senate, U.S. Senate candidate, Kathy Salvey, who will be running as a Republican here in Illinois.
0: Okay. And Patrick Henley.
3: Sure. I'm a businessman living in Winnetka, Illinois, uh, working at a company called Piglet in Bed. We sell uh, linen bedding, pajamas, uh, homeware, sleepwear, that
0: sort of thing. Okay. Uh, Ben, are you still on the phone? I sure am okay now ben is calling us from el paso texas he called in in the last segment and said uh, uh, why are we spending so much effort and on dealing with refugees and immigration issues when we have many people in the united states who are needy and are being ignored at least that's in your your view Uh, matt gave an answer to that question talking about the biblical spirit upon which he acts and that uh You know, Christianity and religions of the world feel that there is a a need and a responsibility uh, to help those who are uh, less fortunate than they are. And I wanted to get your reaction, because your your reaction is one uh, we hear frequently on talk radio, that uh, take care of ourselves, forget about everybody else. But how do you react when you hear Matt's response? I don't know whether you're a religious man or not. But is there something to Matt's answer that uh, that you agree with? No, I, I it, you take care of your own people first.
9: And unfortunately, you know, if, if we were in, if we were one of the strongest nations, we we had the best economics uh, in the world uh, economy in the world and everything else. Then, I, you know, fine. You know, we, if we could if we had the money, you know, I give it to them. Don't we, hit, we don't have the money?
0: Don't we have that?
9: No, no. Are, 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 why do you think there's so much inflation right now? We're 123 trillion dollars in debt because of all the things that the banks have done over the last number of years and everything. Okay. we are the uh, the uh, U.S. dollar is under attack. We're going to we're no longer going to be the reserve currency, oh.
0: and besides that, ben, we're do going you... to end up having digital programmable dollar Ben do you and also agree Ben yeah. let me just ask you this do you also agree that uh, the united states should not be responding with any military hardware to help the ukrainians is that a waste of money as well I believe
9: I I believe that we're, what we're doing in ukraine is all a part of bringing down the united states of america and our economy
0: why okay. do you think why that do you th-
9: why do you think that then because where what, what um, ukraine has uh, more grain and in the, in, in the, they provide what uh, 15 20 of the grain in the world russia um, provides a lot of the grain russia also provides a lot of european oil uh, and uh, it's, it's a matter that the reason why we're going to have food shortages is because Russia also supplies fertilizer and everything. Everything is brought and being brought okay. to bear on the United States, so we will go bankrupt with, uh, you know, with the third world countries. Okay. And, and and it's your and, and it's your uh,
0: position. And then we're going to move on. It's your position that uh, a very rich nation, you challenge whether we're the richest of the rich. But it's generally your feeling is that if there's someone that is stumbling and needs help, uh, it's your position not to help them.
9: Let them make it on their own. If we were the richest nation, if we okay. were the richest nation in the world, yes, I think we should do help them. We okay. are not the richest nation in the world. We are
0: bankrupt.
11: We, uh, what that's about
0: a our dollar is uh, gone? Are you? Uh, what religion do you practice, if I may ask? I believe in God. You believe in God. I believe in God. Now, my question to you is, Matt, let me ask you, because you are uh, a man of God. You're not a minister, but you obviously, it's the the biblical teachings that really are the basis of your organization and your life's work. Uh, Speak to Ben and see if there's any common ground uh, with Ben's position.
13: Yeah, you know, I, I I don't wanna presume that everyone shares the same faith background that I do, but for us at World Relief certainly our motivation is is our Christian faith and um the command to, to do to others as we would have them do to us. And, and the reality is I, I maybe I live in a different Part of the United States than I do geographically, certainly than Ben does. So, even having spent a lot of time in El Paso, you know, I, I think this is actually the richest country on earth, maybe not per capita, but at least in terms of overall wealth. Um, we've been an incredibly blessed country. And I, I think that's something that comes with some responsibility. Um, and also, even if it if you're not motivated by a moral argument around this, which which is my primary motivation, I think it's actually in the economic interests of the United States. I mean, amongst our economic challenges right now is there are literally millions more job openings in the United States at the moment than there are people looking for work. And so, um, inviting some additional people in who want to work, which in my experience is true of the vast majority of refugees and of other immigrants, um, it could actually be in our own economic interest. It also, of course, grows the consumption base within the United States, and that's how you grow an economy: is a, a growing and not a shrinking population, which is what we would have in this country if it wasn't for our country's history of immigration.
0: Patrick has a comment for and you, your, Ben. And your, your, well, and your
9: guest said something about waiting uh, twenty years for that economy. To you know, to, um, uh, realize the um, uh, the, the uh, things from the uh, from the refugees. Well, we're not we don't have 20 years. If we do, if we keep on doing what we're going to do, we're just going to just like the world, re, uh, uh, the world economic forum says, we're we'll, uh, we're going to be we're going to be uh, helping everybody else and impoverishing ourselves. Patrick Hanley.
3: Yeah, no, I, I got to disagree with you a little bit there, Ben. And Matt, I thought your answer was terrific, not only on moral, but also on economic grounds. The reality is we're a very wealthy country. And actually, uh, Ben, I got to say your fear around the dollar, I think, is a little bit unfounded. We are the world's reserve currency. Uh, and relative to the rest of the world, we're the stablest, strongest, and now a very fast-growing economy. Uh, and so I really don't see uh any downside to providing fairly, fairly low amounts of assistance relative to the amount of spending that we're doing elsewhere in the economy. So I, I just don't see that downside.
9: Have you ever heard of the Great Reset?
3: The Great Reset? Uh, no, but if you could share. Yeah.
9: Okay. Look it up. Look it up. It's a it's a, 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 a plan by the elite of the world to make sure that they uh, they're, they're, the they're going to control all the economies, yeah. And everything make us poor, and thing And they have to. I'm do sorry, that Ben. I just don't. I don't. Who created
3: I don't, this? I don't buy into conspiracy okay. theories like that.
9: All you, all you have to do, all you have to do is look up the Great Reset, okay. World Economic Forum and ESG scores. Ben, I think okay? we've heard a lot of conspiracy theories no. over the
3: years going back a hundred years, and oftentimes no, sure. oftentimes they end up demonizing minorities, oftentimes Jews, and I really just don't want to dab- dabble in that sort
0: of ben, stuff. Ben, i, I got to tell you, you got, you got your money's worth tonight, but we're going to move on to other subjects. And one thing I do want to say uh, before we run out of time with, with Matt, Matt, there are people who are uh, listening tonight, watching tonight, who watched uh, all the television stories of the refugees, uh, what can they do? Is, is the easiest thing for them to do to write a check? Is that the uh, is that the armchair response that is most valuable?
13: I mean, that's obviously super helpful right now, especially in terms of the humanitarian response in Europe, um, and people can do that at worldrelief.org, and of course, there's other good organizations that are on the ground as well. Um, But then, longer term, as we think towards the possibility of resettlement, we also depend very heavily on volunteers. Um, And we're in about 20 different cities around the United States, but there's other resettlement agencies as well that are already receiving folks from Afghanistan and people from Um, from Burma and the Democratic Republic of Congo and other contexts, um, but who also will expect to begin to receive people from Ukraine in the coming, hopefully, weeks and months as well. And that's that's actually, for some people, that's a harder response. That could actually take your time. Um, We could certainly use, you know, financial support as well, but um, we also always need volunteers.
0: And the volunteers would basically be helping welcoming these people and and preparing things that uh, they might need uh, to support their stay in uh, Chicago or in the United States. That's the volunteer effort.
13: Yeah, so there's a whole range of options. Sometimes it's a one-time thing, like helping to set up an apartment, or mm-hmm. um, even being there at the airport to help welcome people. Oh. Um, others are, we have longer-term volunteer opportunities to make a six-month commitment that I'm going to be what we call a friendship partner or a team from a church that's a good neighbor team. That will basically say, we're going to make sure we're here once a week and just have, you know, it's, it's basically the job description is be a friend, which is something all of us know how to do. Yeah. Um, but. You know, it means de- dealing with some language barriers and cultural misunderstandings often, but we can help provide some training towards those things as well. That's
0: a very good idea. I may uh, I may take you up on it uh, personally. Uh, that, that might be something to keep me busy. So thank you very much, uh, Matt Sorens from World Relief, who joins us this evening. I'm Bruce Dumont. We will continue with Patrick Hanley and Stephanie Hitt after this break.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit healthychildren.org.
10: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre diabetes awareness partners.
4: It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
0: Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Patrick Hanley and uh, Stephanie Hitt. And Stephanie, you were going to ask, Matt uh, is gone, but uh, you were musing of uh, about a question that you wish you would ask.
2: Yeah, and I, I would love to know how nimble and easy it is for him as a private organization that, you know, is he able to accomplish a lot of things um, with, you know, his private funding and so on that, that makes the, his organization maybe more successful than some of the government organizations or some of the, um, you know, the ones that are more uh, have more red tape mm. or, you know, through maybe our own state department, for example. Yeah, they so made rules,
0: on. rules and regulations. Right,
2: yeah. and you know, I think what we're what we're seeing in in <clears throat> especially in the Afghanistan crisis that we saw a lot of that, as well as Ukraine, is these private organizations are really stepping up, Mm. they're finding the funding, they don't need to get, they don't need to go to Congress to get funding, they're coming up with a lot more money, and they're able to do things, uh, gain access that maybe other, you know, uh, 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 our government can't, and they're using some very creative and entrepreneurial ways to do this, and that's one thing that I think we should encourage. Not just in mm-hmm. this,
0: but are you? You know something else. I, I, I want to mm-hmm. get reaction because obviously uh, the television cameras of the world are showing these very dramatic stories. Right. And uh, last week, uh, David Muir of ABC went to Ukraine, and basically yeah. all of his reporting was really about the horrendous issue of uh, of the children and mm-hmm. and the women surviving. And so that becomes a, a dominant media story. Right. It isn't about bigger, broader, you know, goals of of, of Russia and, and Vladimir Putin. It's it's about the personal, right, personal yeah. stories. Is is that too much? I mean, it, when 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 the recipients of American news are supposed to be digesting the bigger, broader world picture. Mm are we sometimes seduced because a media focuses on the dramatic the traumatic uh the things that the the, the tearjerker stories yeah. that that really get to everyone's heart uh doesn't necessarily get to their head and well, they're,
4: uh
2: they're the stories that we all can relate not just relate yes. to but that we trust yeah we trust when we see real human emotion
4: mm-hmm.
2: i feel like over these last I don't know how many years I'd say it's been a while since a lot of people are not quite sure what to believe about Mm. government motives what's the story I mean we just had a caller here talk about you know this is all part of a giant reset yeah so the the story told from that perspective is I think very hard for all of us to understand and we're not sure how we're gonna come down on on that
11: Mm -hmm.
2: but what we can what we all know is that we can look at someone, we can look at a mother and her child, and Mm. we can watch these women saying goodbye to their husbands and their sons at the border. And that's something that we all understand, and we all know there's something wrong here.
3: Yeah. But
2: we may not know why it's wrong. We may not know who's pulling the levers. We may not really be confident in understanding the motives of Putin and what we're being told by our government or his government, but the only way really make people aware of what's going on in the world is through the personal story. I yeah. do see that and I think a lot of people just aren't sure to trust the narrative of the bigger overarching motives.
3: Gosh Stephanie, that's such a powerful point. I really I, I can't agree with you more and i think it also speaks to the different media ecosystem that we're in now that a lot of especially early in the war a lot of the videos were coming from phones were coming through social media yeah. right. uh... and when something takes off on social media there's no i mean there's there's a degree of manipulation sometimes when a company right. or a brand does something but when something is powerful as a video of a boyfriend hugging a girlfriend getting right. on a train before he goes off to war right. when that is shown to three, four million people who watch that video. That is a and visceral, one. human reaction, and you got to imagine that's thousands of people exactly. So it's such an important way to reconnect ourselves to these crises that often can seem abstract. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and I think we we've gotten jaded about yeah. the abstract story. We are jaded about conspiracies. We are sure. jaded about do you, motives.
0: Do you feel that you are getting a good description and 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 complete description of what's happening or are we and the media in the united states are we too too much on the side of ukraine are we
3: Mm.
0: we're taking all of their military feeds i mean it it is it's a one-sided story Mm -hmm. obviously putin is a bad guy they're doing horrible things but as an as a as an intelligent uh person who wants to devour Accuracy mm-hmm. and truth right. are we getting a good dose of the other side of the story?
2: Well, I feel like we we feel pretty confident in the, the the Western media and the story that's being told because we are seeing, and unless someone's got an incredible Photoshop outfit, we are seeing literally entire cities. Yeah pictures of the day before and the day after. Right. And we are, we, we are getting a sense of the reality of the just absolute destruction. What is interesting is we don't know the Russian yeah. side of things. Well, and what We're the getting, Russians are doing. You know, and what right. how they're filtering information. Sure.
0: I do want to say one thing from about 35 minutes ago. I think that people may have heard me say that I was in support of nuclear war. I think you probably are shaking <laughs> <No>. your heads. <laughs> I didn't mean to suggest no. that all I'm just saying. I don't is think that her... we have we we have, we have this huge buildup. We have allegedly the greatest military in the world. Mm-hmm. We spent hundreds of billions right. of dollars on building our our fortress if you will and uh, we're fearful mm-hmm. of uh, the Russians and what they might do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just didn't want anybody to think. But of I think it's. I think I think your. I think your
2: your your point. The point that I got. White
0: House take that back. The
2: point I got you is that you know there there should be a healthy skepticism yeah. about a, about his ability to
0: do it. Yeah. On that note, we are out of time. Our thanks to Stephanie. Hitt. And also Patrick Canley for joining us. And also Matt Sorens in hour number one. And Greg Ballard, uh, Greg Ballard in hour number one. And Matt Sorens in hour number two. Fritz Goldman, he's been here for both hours. He's awake. We'll see you next Sunday night. Good night, everybody, from Chicago.
7: No word in English language is less convincing than probably.
10: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.
8: 145 over 92.
5: 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your
11: blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand,
12: including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke
4: my memory is shot when i woke up i couldn't speak
11: lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke if you've stopped your treatment plan restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org it's a new life
12: but i'm going to make it better I'm coming back ask your doctor
11: check your blood pressure Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.